Hi, and welcome to another episode of That Podcast. I'm Bo, and Dave's not with us again today, uh, but we're joined by Jason McCreary, uh, otherwise known as J-Mac. Yeah, so uh, I go by J-Mac because I tend to work with um, 100 other Jasons. It seems without <laughs> fail, every team that I've worked on has a Jason who was there before me. Um, so I have to be the one adopting the nickname. So um, it's not necessarily just branding anymore. It's, it's It originally started as, as a nickname, but uh, I do try to use it uh, for as much as possible. I think now that I'm speaking at conferences and so forth, I think people kind of just recognize me as, as uh, J Mac or even just kind of use that directly, which is great. You know, again, it's kind of like a fun little brand, but nice. Um, but I've been, I've been a PHP developer for probably 15 years now. I mean, way back in like the four, uh, you know, the PHP four days, you know, before object oriented programming or whatever, or formal classes and so <laughs> forth. Um, so mm-hmm. I've been with that the longest, but I mean, I'm a full stack developer, um, kind of originally. And then I got into iOS development for about two or three years, um, made a few apps, uh, I kind of tinker with Node.js a little bit more lately. Um, you know, kind of for the day job, I guess you could say, but I'm a PHP fan at heart. So pretty active in the community in general. And then specifically the Laravel community, because, um, I also created shift, which I think you guys have mentioned before on the podcast. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, yeah, we have mentioned Laravel Shift a few times. Uh, can, do you mind sharing with with the listeners what Shift is? Yeah, so Shift is a uh, SaaS product. So it's an automated services. Uh, well, there's human services too. So there's automated services, and then there's human services. For example, if you want kind of me to do the upgrade for you, but the automated services are really by far what everyone really kind of knows and loves. Um, but basically, that'll take your, uh, for example, you have a Laravel um, 5.1 uh, project. So you've written all your app code in, in 5.1. Well, now, of course, they're on 5.6, soon to be 5.7. Uh, so Shift will actually go through your app code. It'll audit it, analyze it, um, and then automatically make updates where it can. And then where it can't, it'll kind of comment. And you get everything in a nice, clean pull request with nice atomic commits. And uh, just kind of guide you through the upgrade process, um, kind of like you had a, a kind of a Laravel expert uh, right there with you. So nice. I've actually seen it in action. I think just once. I don't remember which Laravel versions they were going from, uh, but yeah, the the pull the pull request that it had looked pretty intense. I think they were actually jumping multiple versions. Oh, uh, so I I don't know if that. Is the reason I don't know if that's the reason why it looked as uh, big as it did. Um, are, are they generally pretty big, or do, are some of them bigger than others, depending on which migration you're doing? It definitely depends on which version. I mean, we go back as far as uh, Laravel 4.2. So if you take you know a 4.0 project to a 5.0 project, basically you're going to get a pretty large pull request, maybe with you know, um, I would say 12 to 15 comments. But if Mm. you're going, if you've got a pretty relatively recent application that you've kind of stayed on top of, um, you know, you might get five or six comments. And most of them are just informative of like, hey, here's this new feature in the language or the framework that you might want to take a look at um, because we noticed you were using mail send Mm. in like a couple of your controllers. And now there's, you know, mailables, for example. Right. Does it? Do, I know that. Uh, well, I, I believe that Laravel switched to PSR two at some point. Yeah. Uh, like different code formatting. It's 
it's possible this project had made that jump. Is that one of the shifts that you do as well? It is. That's actually one of the um, automation pieces uh, that happens is it, it will reformat the code, which is, you know, obviously um, I don't necessarily believe it should be, but it happens to remain a delicate matter for developers. So it's one of those things where, yeah, yes, Laravel officially adopted PSR2 in Laravel 5, um, so in 5.0. So that's when Shift adopted it. Uh, as well to kind of stick again with the framework. I'll get one in a hundred that send me a nasty gram that are like, oh, you know, don't <laughs> do this. But to be fair, um, if it's something you really don't like, uh, that's why I do everything in atomic commits. So it's very easy to just revert that commit. Um, mm. If it's a very large code base, maybe it's not as easy as I'm making it sound. But again, I try to do a good job of making everything in these nice atomic commits. So if there was a change that happened to be faulty or just one you didn't like, you know, you can revert it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, I think I saw recently that you uh, sort of moved to like a host your own version of shift. Um, is shift like what, what is shift? Is it a, um, such like a command line application? Does it have a bunch of like, uh, queue workers running in the background, running on different bits. Can you talk a little bit about kind of like the infrastructure? Yeah, so at its core, um, I guess the website, of course, or the application is uh, built with Laravel, which is always kind of like an inception type thing. You know, like I have Laravel mm-hmm. shift and I use Laravel shift on Laravel shift. So uh, <laughs> Nice. But the underneath, it's actually um, polyglot. There's actually a lot of pieces to it. Um, at its core, it used to be a bunch of shell scripts. Um, so basically a lot of shell scripts that would fire different kind of commands. Um, probably originally the favorite command was grep. <laughs> so it would mm-hmm. just, you know, yeah. grep for all these different types of patterns in your code base to try to identify them. And then I would use Perl from the command line to effectively do extended replaces. Um, it's mm-hmm. a little easier in my mind than, uh, or it's a little more human readable, I suppose, than like awk or, or using grep or set even. Um, yeah. So I used Perl and then I, I like to do things, I guess, as, as a tangent, I like to do things in a very MVP fashion. So I'd actually had a set of scripts mm-hmm. when I worked at a web agency, you know, four or five years ago to upgrade a lot of their Laravel projects because that was kind of their dominant platform that they use. Um, so basically, they would uh, you know have a client come in. We wanted to upgrade the project. We did about four or five of those, and then finally, we I just wrote a bunch of scripts for it. So I ran into Taylor at um, PHP World I think back then, and kind of just was like, "Hey, do you know if you have anything like this in the framework? Are you going to build anything like this in the framework, or does anything exist in the community?" And he was like, basically said like, "No, but I'd use it." So. <laughs> I was like, oh, now I'm going to go build this. So, you know, all those conferences always have a hackathon, which is great. Um, So I just kind of sat there next to him and, you know, whipped up a couple things. And, you know, I think at the time he was working on integrating Vue.js into Laravel. So, you know, he was kind of hacking on that. And uh, but anyways, long story short, um, I turned those scripts into PHP scripts. Um, eventually it started using things like, um, Nikix PHP parser. Um, it uses things like uh, code sniffer. Um, there's also a very small, like, um, go application or I guess program, uh, that just does some of the mm-hmm. file IO. Cause I was actually getting to a scale where that was causing me problems to do kind of the file input output in PHP. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it, it's, it's several different things and it runs again through Laravel. It runs on a queue. So, I mean, a lot of different moving parts. Um, every now and then I'll get a project that's just like too large 
and I normally just kind of have to take it off the queue and run it kind of on a separate worker. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so the, the self-hosted version, um, we, uh, we talked a little bit earlier offline about like pricing and things like that. Uh, that seems like a, a big jump to be able to offer that. I know that's one of the things that Blackfire does. I do a lot of work um, with Blackfire and we do have an on-premise edition of Blackfire. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the pricing on that is interesting because it's, there's, there's, it's a big difference between running something in your own environment and your own ecosystem where you can control it versus handing it off to other people. Is that something that you've been, uh, people had requested a lot? Uh, what sort of interesting business things did you run into with that? Yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, pricing has been hard with shift. Um, pricing is hard in general to kind of determine what the value is of something because value is so subjective. Mm-hmm. And we also, especially in the PHP, the greater PHP community, come from that open source mentality where open source means free. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's a movement to kind of separate the two. But for a long time, that I think that's what it kind of means to people. And even though that's 90% of the time true, um, you know, you have to understand, I guess, at the end of the day, like, if you provide a service to someone, there's value to that service. So in the example of Shift, I'm saving you hours of development time. If you're a developer that makes, you know, who, who knows what? I mean, as long as you mm-hmm. make more than minimum wage in the U.S., I mean, if you make more than $10 an hour, then Shift is cheaper for you to use than spend your own time doing it. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. So when I came up with pricing for it, I mean, I started very, very low. And I actually had the people that used it would tell me this needs to be more, you know, and I still have people telling me that like, hmm. um, Marcel, um, I'm blanking on his last name cause I, I only ever know him on Twitter, <laughs> but is anyways, the, um, is it the Botman person? Yeah. Botman. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Marcel who, who created Botman, um, every time he uses it, which I guess for Botman or whatever, he'll pay for it, but then he'll send me a PayPal donation and he's always like <laughs> charge more. <laughs> nice. So, so, you know, pricing's hard. I'm comfortable with where the price is. It's just a couple bucks. The older versions go up in price when new versions come out as really just mm-hmm. an incentive to like stay current. And, right. and that's, that's me helping everybody that that's helping me, you know, obviously have to support still older versions, but it's also encouraging you. Hey, if you're really that cost, you know, concerned, like, keep your app updated. That's going to help everybody. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that's awesome. So how about the, the on-premise or the self-hosted? Yeah. So the on-premise one, I'm starting that game <laughs> all over again, because basically to, to your own point, the on-premise ones are like five times the cost, even mm-hmm. 10 times the cost. Now, to be fair, the on-premise ones are really um, aimed at, uh, I hate to use the word, but they're aimed at enterprise mm-hmm. or corporation. Um, so taking a step back, basically what I did was the online service is all cloud-based. So you have to sign in through GitHub, Bitbucket, GitLab, whatever you authenticate, you share access with your repo, you know, temporarily you're in full control, but you basically grant me access to create Mm -hmm. a pull request, much like any other service that you use, you know, cloud-based service. So nothing fancy, but as shift grew in scale, which is great, I started to encounter kind of a high quality problem, which is basically people coming to me and saying, I can't share, you know, this organization because I'm mm-hmm. under NDA. 
like I can't do that. I work for, you know, so-and-so and, and we're too right. big to, to do that. Or vice versa. I have just companies that just are more on like the open source paranoid side. They don't even want to put their code like in, you know, maybe they have IP, so they don't even want to put it in right. on GitHub or even GitLab. They just don't want to host it. So they self host. Um, and even though I have the integrations to, to do GitHub and GitLab and whatever, if you're self-hosted now, I got to deal with all sorts of right. network problems. So I came up with a solution basically now that Docker is more popular um, and, and more supported on all the different platforms and client. You know, you have Docker for Mac and Docker for Windows. It's just a very easy download now. I finally had the opportunity to, to meet the demand of this growing audience that was saying, hey, I can't use Shift, but I want to. And also meet it with technology to make it simple enough where it felt very similar to the online two or three clicks and you get a pull mm-hmm. request. Now it's the same thing. You run two Docker commands and your app is updated. Mm. Um, now, obviously, that's a premium, right. right? Because there's a lot of layers there. There's convenience. There's solving a problem that you, again, weren't able to solve before. It's a higher end problem because you have restrictions. So it's more valuable to you. Um, you know, and on top of which, there's a little bit of trust right? You're trusting that I'm not doing something malicious with your code through Docker. And I'm trusting that you're not jumping into Docker and pulling all the shift code out. Right. right. So, you know, if you made that six bucks, like the regular cloud-based shifts are, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think, um, again, it, it, I'm starting to realize that pricing is, is again, it, it's kind of about that value, but it's also about perception. Mm-hmm. There's perceived value in cost as well. If something's $2 and then something else is $10, even though you know $10 is more, some people in the back of their mind are going to tell themselves, well, the $10 one's better. Yep. yep. Not necessarily, but there's some psychology there is the point. Yeah. I used to, uh, I don't know how many of our listeners knew this, but I have, uh, I used to be a DJ um, and I had a club night and it was free. There was no cover charge to do a club night back uh, when I was doing it. And I had people come up to me and tell me that free free club nights weren't always good. Like it doesn't draw a crowd because if it's free, then there's no value. So why would I go? Like, what's the point? Even if, like, even if the cover charge was five bucks, they said that we'd get more people or at least that's what they said at the time. So it's interesting to see how these like business ideas um, and pricing and things like that, like it's really all over the place, right? Like yeah. the, the, the rules or the ideas that people have really apply to all businesses. Um, yeah. But but they might apply differently depending on on the business that you're into. Yeah. So um, so if if someone's doing like a self hosted shift, um, do you, how does that work? Like if you don't have a pull request where you can go look at things, does it create a branch for them, or does it just change the code outright? It changes the code outright. Um, there are assumptions. Again, you'll still get the same atomic commits. So there's. Mm-hmm. There's some assumptions that you'll get as much of the same experience as the cloud-based version as possible. Um, but mm-hmm. since I don't know the infantry, I don't know that kind of layer of the Git hosting. I mm-hmm. don't really mess with that anymore. So instead, you get a markdown file of what the pull request would have been. Okay, so interesting. You, okay, yeah. So so you kind of get the same look and feel. I'm I'm still iterating on it. It's a little bit raw. Um, so I may turn the markdown of course into HTML so you can just open like a preformatted page. Maybe that's a little cleaner. Right. Um, again, I take a very MVP approach. So, I mean, I kind of built Docker. I built some of the most used shifts, which are the layer bell shifts. I mean, I have other shifts. There's, there's shifts for PHP projects, for example, moving 
MySQL to MySQL I if you've got a really old code base. You know, as as PHP pushes much past seven, I think maybe those will gain a little more traction. But Laravel mm-hmm. by far the most. So I really only made the Docker versions of Shift for some of the higher end Laravel versions, more okay. recent Laravel versions. But yeah, it basically downloads a Docker image, um, builds kind of that necessary polyglot system. I learned a little bit about Docker. I'm definitely not an expert, but I learned about the different kind of flavors. Um, so, you know, Alpine, for example, everybody, I have some friends and they were like, I was complaining about the size because I, I was using CentOS and mm-hmm. and it was huge. You know, the download time was several minutes. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was kind of killing that experience. So again, I wanted to make that experience this single click, two, three minutes later, you get a pull request. So I mm-hmm. used Alpine, which is like five meg compared to, you know, its image size. And then I'm really just yeah. tacking on again, Perl and downloading a small Go app. And then um, I looked into FARS to kind of get everything built into like a PHP archive. So that was kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. So I just like gzip that. It phones home to check like, you know, API keys and things of that nature. And then it'll run on your system through like a volume mount, which was another thing that was interesting. Cool. I learned all about the inefficiencies of volume mounts. So um, I stumbled upon like the delegated or, or delayed um, option, which is nice because there's a lot of file IO, of course, because I'm changing your files. Yeah. Yeah, I've run into file IO issues anytime you're doing that, whether it's a Docker or Vagrant. I mean... You know, especially if you're running like Node and you have like a massive Node modules directory and something has to scan it. Um, so like PHP Storm, if you're a PHP Storm user and it and you forget to ignore that directory, it's continuously scanning this massive directory over the network with this. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm sure you had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, it's nice, though, because Shift, again, is, is starting to reach that level where it has a large enough community where I can kind of send out a newsletter to, to that audience and I'll get, you mm-hmm. know, at least a few people coming back and being like, I'll beta test it. You know, it's unfortunate when you're mm-hmm. building things sometimes, even if you have a good following on Twitter or whatever, you know, you, Hey, anybody know X, Y, Z. And it's like crickets, you know, like, no, there's no response and you feel so alone <laughs> and you're like, should I even be building this? Yeah. Um, so it's <laughs> nice to have in the shift community anyways, some decent feedback, I'll at least get one person that normally responds and, you know, says they'll help, help out. Cool. That's awesome. So shift is sort of one of your projects. Do you have other, other side projects that aren't your so-called day job? Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, um, shift definitely, I used to build apps. So, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable building products. Um, iOS apps uh, before. So I had, had a little bit of familiarity with kind of a life cycle of a, of a quote unquote product, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So when shift came out and kind of got me into the service um, software as a service, like that was a, a very interesting um, market to me because of the kind of recurring revenue. Um, so that's, mm-hmm. I think that's really great. And so once I got a taste of that, um, I actually made a video course called Getting Git, um, which is kind of these really short videos that go through pretty much every Git command um, through the command line. So it's not even like me talking to you. It's just like, I mean, I'm talking, but like, it's not a video of me. It's like just a screencast. So it's right. Those those were pretty good. They weren't as popular as maybe I wanted them to be, but they I definitely got a return on my time investment, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll trickle in every now and then. So the point is, is that I want to, I believe in, I guess, what... I, um, an old boss called the nickel machine. So I, w- I just want something that is more of a Google approach, right? It's a long tail. 
I'm not looking for the million dollar right. idea. I don't think personally, I don't think those are, um, you're not going to get those that often anymore. I mean, there's so many products that are out there now. And then there's also, even if you come up with it, there's so many barriers to entry, unless you just have this excellent audience and following already, it's going to be, it's still going to be that much yeah. harder to get it out there. Um, I'm also learning that like audience is everything. Like if you have a platform, um, it's so much easier to, to sell something. I'm not saying you can sell junk, but it's much easier to launch something and get a, at least your return on time investment. Right. Yeah. It's really difficult if you don't already have that. Um, we're, we're struggling with Beck's audience. Uh, so we, we had a pretty good, uh, we had a pretty good audience in Seattle when we lived there, kind of on the West coast doing the art scene. Um, but finding an audience online and growing that when there isn't anybody local here that really does the same kind of art as her, uh, it's really difficult. Um, so it's definitely a lot easier when people are already there. Uh, so, you know, I, I've done a lot of reading on growing audiences and things like that. Did you, did you do any of that sort of stuff as well or did it just happen organically i mean i definitely believe that it happens organically but i've paid a lot of attention to um some of the people i guess kind of within the laravel community because again shift really gave me a lot of access to that community and to be Mm -hmm. fair it's probably where i have a majority of my followers so i'm attempting to kind of grow beyond that and to your point that's very hard but i've paid attention to people like taylor you know he'll always have these really great um you know, marketing ideas, but then he, he kind of does more of an Apple approach where it's very secretive, you know, and he builds a lot of buzz <laughs> without really telling you mm-hmm. anything, which is, which, which is a talent. It's an excellent talent. Um, yeah. Then there's people more like, you know, Wes Boss or uh, Adam Wadden who, you know, just constantly are sharing these great tips. Right. And mm-hmm. um, you've even seen people like, um, I, I, I might be butchering his last name. So I apologize. Steve, uh, Steve Schroger, um, doing a lot of the d- design tips, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and even Adam's kind of teased that, you know, their buddies or, or whatever out, you know, kind of outside of Twitter, of course. And, uh, you know, he grew from like 200 followers to like 20,000 in less than a year, just from all these design tips. So, I mean, I, I yeah. paid attention to that is, is kind of the point I'm getting at. And mm-hmm. I started doing that with some coding tips. Um, I did a lot of pair programming in my previous job and I just, there would be all these kind of like gems, I guess, of like really short programming things that I would tell them my pairs, especially if they were, um, you know, an, an intern or, or someone new to the team. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, a good, that's a good tip. Or, you know, they'd even just challenge me, like, why are you writing your code that way? And I started turning those into yeah. um, tweets. And, I mean, they by far got the most um, activity of any. Like, I mean, I think one of them got maybe like 400 retweets, which, you know, mm-hmm. if you're a, you know, if you're a superstar, that's, that's nothing. But if you're me who before that, maybe only ever got five and like three of them are a mom, you know, that's, that's really, yeah. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know? Um, so anyways, I, the, you know, to drive that all the way home, I, uh, I took those tips and actually turned them into, um, I'm turning them into a book. Um, I was doing some mm-hmm. blog posts and on dev dot two or whatever. And uh, those were like the number one blog post for the week, a couple weeks in a row uh, back like last November. And uh, so I just thought, oh, gosh, the combination of these two, let's let's turn it into a book, which is a very like um, 37 signals or Nathan Berry type thing to do. Right. You just 
take years right. and years of these things that are freely available, but for whatever reason, you tie them together, you put a hardcover on it, and uh, you know you can sell it for fifty bucks. Yep. <laughs> Which, to the point of value, like makes no sense, right? But the convenience of having it all together and and maybe the way in which right. if you package it up smartly, like obviously I'm not going to sell just the book. Um, I'll sell mm-hmm. it with accompanying videos. And I'm thinking about doing like an audio version where, where maybe I talk more. Um, I'm going to do mm-hmm. like one with some live group calls where like you're able to kind of ask the author, you know, after the fact kind of thing. So just different ways to add value yeah. to it, because obviously uh, an ebook is is not only new to me, but it's it's um, just a space that seems very very saturated. And you know, how do you price mm-hmm. that? You know, so I'm going to price it pretty cheaply, like a base package, and you know, go from there. Cool. Well, that's awesome. So what's that? What is that project live now? Or are you still yeah, working it's, on that? Uh, it's actually it's I'm calling it a field guide as a, as kind of a uh, tricky way to give myself an out that it doesn't have to be this super long book. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be super serious. Yeah. So it's uh, basecodefieldguide.com. But basically, um, the book is called Base Code, and the focus is getting back to um, writing code that's readable. Um, I think readability is something that we've lost um, as programmers. We've trumped it with complexity. And for whatever reason, complexity, um, we seem to justify it way more than we do justifying readability. Like for whatever reason, like readable code is like too simple or too stupid or dumb, or you should be writing it this way with this design pattern. And this book is kind mm-hmm. of an effort to flip that on its head because I've given some talks at conferences on Yagni, which is you're not going to need it. It's kind of a principle of extreme programming and pushes you to kind of defer design decisions until much later than maybe we naturally would, which I totally believe in. Right. So I've been speaking about that for about two years at conferences now. And I mean, they're again, kind of just like those tweets, they're the most attended talk of that time slot. I'm getting hounded with questions afterwards and, and, and talking, you know, people are coming up to me and talking, which at, a, at tech conferences, you know, we're introverts. Like we don't really go up to people and talk unless there's like yeah. a celebrity issue. Right. And so I can tell that it's, a, it's right. a very interesting topic. So it's, it's got a little bit of that mixed into it as well, but it's 10 practices um, that I cover that, that are a lot of people I think it might dismiss as fundamental but I guarantee you, if you practiced all 10 of mm-hmm. these, like your code would be phenomenal forever. Like you're going to come back to your code three years mm-hmm. later. And instead of being like, what the hell was I thinking? You're going to be like, yeah, maybe there's a few better ways to do this now, like more modern ways, but you're going to be able to address the code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sort of feel like there's a big divide between, um, say, the Laravel community and and the larger PHP community on some of these things. And maybe readability isn't necessarily what Laravel aims for, uh, but it's definitely more developer experience focus, making it pl- pleasurable to code as opposed to coding, you know, air quotes, right. Yeah. Uh, is, is, that, is that kind of what you're getting at or is it subtly different than that? I definitely think the Laravel community, I mean, there's a sense of... Um, uh, I'm a little scared to use the word elegance, but I mean, it's not me making up that word. I mean, if you go to Laravel.com, I mean, you're going to, you're going to see like words like craft and artisan, right? Like mm-hmm. clearly yeah. they're, they're pushing again, a, a brand, if you will. 
And um, mm-hmm. I think years ago, you saw this maybe in a little bit more of an aggressive way with people combating between PHP and Ruby, right? Like Ruby was just so much mm-hmm. more elite, you know, um, to be yeah. a Ruby programmer. And uh, every language has its benefits, you know, um, but I definitely believe in that saying where, you know, someone said there's there's um, no solutions, only trade-offs, um, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that's a, a common thing that gets bounced around and requoted in the in the programming community. But my focus is I don't want to get specific with any one language. I, I want these to be programming in general. So I, um, I even mm-hmm. considered kind of making a, a pseudo language for the code samples. I've currently stuck with PHP, mm. but by the time I make the final version, I might make it maybe just, you know, do something like drop the dollar signs and, you know, just simple things where it's not necessarily any one language, but it's, it's right. C based. And because of that, it's easy to apply to any language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- I think that makes a lot of sense. I feel like a lot of times when I'm pseudo coding, I, d- I do something yeah. similar where, it, it looked I mixing between PHP and JavaScript, for example, depending on which language has the better approach to what I'm trying to show for that three lines of code. I may do something completely differently, um, especially if you're doing things like uh, whatever. I can't remember what they're called, like the inline callbacks for JavaScript. I just love yeah. those. It's the, it's the little one line things like I'll, I'll drop that into my code all the time when I'm trying to sh- share an idea or uh, kind of solidify my own thought on something. Um, it might be PHP code around it, but then I just I just do that as my callback yeah. instead. So I, I think there's something to coming up with like a a language or a way to present uh, various languages such that it's just easy to follow. It doesn't matter if you know that language yeah. or not. I think that's a good yeah, idea. I mean, I've given it a lot of thought. So my goal is to release the early edition of base code. Uh, hopefully this week. It was actually to release it the other day, but. I had some last minute travel pop up. Um, so I'm actually in Costa Rica <laughs> right now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things nice. where um, it's very close, but you know, getting that, I'm not a marketer again. So in the book, um, the early edition version of the book, which is basically the first six chapters um, of, you know, of a 12, fa- a 12 chapter uh, uh, book, you know, it's 50% there. So I'm going to launch it, the early edition in true MVP style, you know, make it cheaper, of course, 50% off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if it gets some traction, then I'll keep adding to those packages and so forth. But, um, cool. but you know, the book cool. is, uh, the book's definitely going to get finished, but like I said, maybe some of the higher end features I, I don't end up pursuing if, you know, five people get it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that whole idea of, you know, not spending all your time building something that nobody wants. It's, I think it's pretty powerful. So it sounds like you're doing a great job following that with the the MVP principle. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to do. It's hard to train yourself to, but unfortunately if you have enough times where you built something and it failed um, and you're not just some hermit that can do this all the time, you start to value your time. Mm -hmm. A a really another, actually kind of something else that I think really pushed me is a deadline. Mm. Um, not necessarily in like the corporate workplace sense of the word, but like a true deadline. So for example, one of those iOS apps that I built before was called Pocket Bracket, and it was a March Madness application. Mm. March Madness is a college basketball tournament that starts in March. Yeah. If I don't have that app approved, reviewed, and in the store by March, it's not going to fly. All that work is for nothing. Mm -hmm. And so when it gets to be February 5th, 
And uh, I've got 23 days left to get that through on a two week review process. You start making really hard decisions. Yeah. You know, of saying, look, um, I can't build this feature. I don't, I don't care how much I want it. I don't care how easy I think it is to code. It requires this, requires that, and I got to cut it all. Yep. So you have to be able to make those decisions if you're going to truly make, you know, a product in, in kind of the MVP fashion, mm-hmm. but, you know, the minimal way. Um, a book's a little harder, but if we go back, I mean, I, I did that. I tested this with those, you know, tweet tips. I tested yep. this yep. with blog posts. I tested mm-hmm. this with introductory chapters to a newsletter group where, you know, I've had 2000 people sign up. So mm-hmm. there's, there's interest there. There's enough interest for me to warrant spending the amount of time it takes to write something like a book instead of building my next SaaS product, for example. Right. Cool. So That's awesome. So, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about or, um, any, any specific things coming up this summer you want to plug besides uh, your book? Yeah. I mean, the book, hopefully the early edition will probably be out. I imagine these, you know, it takes a little while to, to publish the podcast. So mm-hmm. by the time this podcast, uh, you know, is, uh, played back, uh, you can go to basecodefieldguide.com and I'm sure you'll be able to check out the early edition. Of course, you can check out laravelshift.com if you have Laravel projects. Like I said, there are a few PHP um, shifts out there, but Laravel seems to be the the audience willing to pay some money to save themselves some time. <laughs> Other than that, though, I mean, I'm nice. speaking. I'm speaking at a lot of conferences coming up. Uh, so I got Laracon. Um, I'll be speaking at um, Southeast PHP. I'll be speaking at ZenCon. I'll be speaking at um, so just a lot of them. Oh, and uh, Wave PHP. So. My brother actually nice. lives out in San Diego, so I'm excited for that one because I'll get to visit him. That's too. cool. Yeah, I think they're like what four or five new PHP conferences in the U.S. this year. Yeah, I mean, um, it's still going strong. You know, people can people can rag on PHP if they want, but I mean, it's it's a great community, and it's why I've stuck with it for 15 years and and through all these other mm-hmm. other tech and languages. Yeah. Um, cool. Awesome. So it sounds like there's lots of opportunities for people to meet with you this year. I'll actually be at Laracon. Um, I think that's at the end of July. Yeah. Are you DJing again? Um, so it's coming up pretty soon. <sighs> I'm not. Uh, I asked Taylor. I I asked Taylor and he said he didn't think he needed to DJ this year. I was going to say they're like, so, which is a, it's in a museum or something this year. So yeah, maybe yeah. the DJ is not the, maybe the most appropriate, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I remember you in New York last year. That was awesome. Yeah, I had a blast with that. That was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> the music wasn't as loud as I'd hoped it would be because I don't think the people down in, in the on the main floor could hear it. Yeah. But I could tell that there were some people hanging around on the second floor. I'm a sucker for 80s. We're, we're, we're digging so, it. But, so those those remixes <laughs> that you did were just cracking me up. Nice. Cool. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm still listening to them. Uh, between the, I think between the two, there's like five hours of music. Nice. So um, yeah, I can get through a whole day just listening to those sets. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, hopefully we can get you on again at some point in the future. Uh, maybe we can hear more about how the, the base code field guide actually uh, does once you oh, launch yeah. it. Um, yeah, so that'd be really cool to kind of revisit that. So thank you again for joining us. And uh, I think we'll call this one a wrap. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to that podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. 
You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com, spelled G-R-I-L-L-O. 